Give your mind and body a moment to settle. Open into the general feeling of the body rather than trying to jump onto the breath intensely on first sitting down. Being aware of sensations of the body sitting. And then in that field of more open awareness, if you've been finding it helpful, open to the experience of hearing. If you find it helpful to reconnect with, re-recognize that space of alert yet non-doing awareness. Without trying to create anything, sounds arise and the awareness, the knowing of the hearing arises just as spontaneously. This quality of awake, non-striving, knowing is quite natural. We can use being with hearing as a focus, as a way to help us rest help us trust more easily the possibility of vivid wakefulness that doesn't take a huge effort. And when it feels appropriate for you in a sitting, in this same relaxed way, beginning to feel the sensations of breath. The sensations arise and pass in the same way that sounds arise and pass. And the knowing, the being with the sensations of breath can be just as spacious and relaxed as being with sounds. And discovering for yourself over the course of the retreat, 
If you feel you are getting too spacey, so relaxed, there's no clear awareness being with hearing, then it's more helpful to bring some precision, some sense of actively connecting with each breath. Actively feeling the beginning of the in-breath or the rising. Sustaining that connected attention throughout the varying sensations of the in-breath and noticing its ending. And the same active connecting of attention with the beginning of the out-breath. Sustained interest and noticing its ending. And conversely, if you're beginning to feel tight, constricted, a ball of tension trying to grasp each breath, dive into it, hold it, then it might be helpful to open again to hearing, to re-recognize the spacious, relaxed quality of awareness. And in being with the breath or hearing as the anchor for awareness, of course when If with the breath, sounds arise, or physical sensations arise. In that moment of noticing the sound, the sensation, acknowledging its presence, its arising, quite fully. Giving the full quality of attention to that experience sensation, hearing, can be very helpful to use the soft, very soft mental labeling as a way to frame the experience, to allow the the knowing, the mindfulness to sink into the sensation, the sound. Be with it. Notice how the experience behaves. Does the sensation change, get more intense, change from tingling to burning? Noticing what happens. Does the sound vary? Does it end? Does it keep going? And then again, allowing the breath, the sensations of breath, to reappear as the anchor, the focus of active awareness. Yesterday we also began to include the five hindrances, strong and sometimes difficult mental states, emotions, 
Today, expanding the field of mood, mental state, to consciously include in the field of awareness whatever tone of mind, of heart, you become aware of. So perhaps in feeling the breath, there's a thought or a feeling of boredom or happiness, calmness, exuberance, grief, anger, sleepiness, excitement, anticipation, the whole range of emotional states, moods or colorings in the mind. It's very helpful on first becoming aware of the arising or the presence of an emotion, a mood, to again give it full attention and very helpful to be able to name it, give it a very, very soft label. This, whether it's happiness, boredom, anger, this, this note or label is in no way a pushing away or a distancing of full experience from the emotion. It's more a way of framing it, of seeing it for what it is and letting our full awareness sink into the present moment experience. So for example, anxiety, labeling it, feeling it, if at all possible, in its physical manifestation in the body. Very helpful for staying present with the anxiety as it's presenting itself here and now. Noticing, of course, there may be many thoughts about the future, what will happen, how can I control it, whatever. Noticing thinking, anxiety, and gently bringing attention into the physical experience or the mood tone in the mind. Again, the thoughts come, carry us away, noticing thinking, anxiety, and grounding again in the present moment experience. Not a sense of, if we notice it correctly, then it will go away. That's not the idea. It may go away. Often as we continue to note and be with an emotion as it's manifesting here and now, it, it sometimes doesn't last as long as we might think it would. If it goes, fine. Again, connect with breath or hearing. If it doesn't go, fine. Noticing how it manifests. And if you feel you're getting lost in the story, then you might try to come back to breath or hearing to reconnect with awareness. The same emotion might reappear fine, greeting it innocently, 
beginner's mind, whatever's arising is met with a newness, a freshness of interest, a non-discriminating quality of attention that is also kind and accepting, cradling the emotion, the sensation, the sound, with full attention as the expression of life in this moment. At this moment, this experience is our gateway to peace and understanding. Can we truly meet this emotion, this sensation, this breath, with that attitude of interest and acceptance? Do you have any questions about the practice, your practice, or anything we may have said consciously or inadvertently? Yeah, Vicki. In Good question. <laughs> the question is about interest, and that has been emphasized in some of the talks. That interest is really a key component to uh, cultivating awareness, and she notices that, oddly enough, it's impermanent. <laughs> sometimes everything's just so interesting, and sometimes it's just so not interesting, and how to cultivate it. She doesn't know how to. And, I mean, it's, it's not a simple question. I don't think there, for me, is any one way I kind of notice, oh, I'm not interested now, I just turn the switch, and interest comes. Um, there's a couple of things. One is, I've found over time, for me, that when the interest is low, uh, it's often a result for me of uh, either low energy, and as a result of that, a sort of um, the attention isn't so connected to what's happening. So when I'm when the attention or the mindfulness is really connected, whether it's the breath or a sensation or sound or uh, emotion, when there's that real connection, the attention sinking into it, then the interest comes for me. And so rather than getting into a kind of a judgment or what's the matter, I'm not interested in going on a riff about it, I can often just sort of step back and see, hmm, the attention just isn't connected, but the energy's okay. And then I'll sort of do what I was saying with the breath this morning is to, to actively connect with each moment of experience. It's, you have to do it gently, not with like a pounding hammer, but it's a little extra effort to sort of connect with each moment, note it clearly. If I see that the energy is very low, um, I might try that 
also that connecting, but I, it's taken me years to learn how to do that when my energy's low without forcing. Or I might just see that with energy low, I need to do various things to bring it up. One is I know that I'd be as continuous as possible. So when my interest isn't there, the tendency is blow it off. You know, let's do something. Let's go out and look for something more interesting. That's what the mind does. Either a daydream or the walking's too boring. I'll have some tea or I'll take a walk or I'll go read something. Those are sort of my last line of of defense to actually do something like that. What I found for myself is in the low energy kind of eh, times, if I just stay really steady, that's when I know I, 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 it's less helpful to deviate. A friend of mine says it's much more difficult to be here 80% than it is to be here 100%. So I just, not so much judging the quality of the sitting or the walking, but I just sit and walk. At the end of the walking, I just go sit. At the end of the sitting, I just go walk. Not with this pushing, it's got to be fantastic, but just that willingness to be there. The interest always comes back. And another last line of defense is to trick yourself. You know, (laughs) bring up some sense of urgency, some sense of the deep commitment of why I'm here. You know, the kind of all the stories of if, you know, I'm not interested enough in my breath, in my sensation. What am I interested in? You know, I'm interested in sports. I'm interested in what kind of notes are on the board. I mean, if I really look at what am I interested in, sometimes I can kind of trick myself to come back to practice. But it's all, all, the, all the, the factors of enlightenment are impermanent and come and go. So not to feel like something's wrong when they fade. You just find the ways to balance them again. start off noting pain, pain, uh, hearing, hearing, then I hear a voice that says noting, noting. <laughs> the second voice notes the first voice. That's and right. And then the first one says, who's that? And the second one says, I'm noting, you're noting. And the third one says, shut up. And pretty soon there's a lot of people in this. <laughs> Probably not the only one. It's kind of infinite regression can yeah. start. <laughs> it's sort of a little bit, in a, in a way, the second one is noting the noting, you know, because the noting in that moment is a thought, same as any other thought. Um, what I hear happening in that is, is actually you're starting to get drawn into the content, you know. And at that point, rather than trying to note each specific voice, I kind of just bundle it up and go analyzing or thinking a general note, and I would pull out of that content the same as I would pull out of any other ongoing train of thought and come back to the breath or come back to a sensation in the body, something concrete. If you're getting really jumbled up in the noting, for a few moments, drop it all together and just uh, let your attention really be with the experience again, whether it's sensation or thinking, energy or emotion, hearing... Reconnect with the actual living experience, and then you can gently bring in the noting. There's noting, if you haven't used it a lot before, it definitely is a technique that takes some commitment and work to get to the point where you see how helpful it can be. It's not a natural thing. 
It's added on top of just being fully present. It's certainly possible to be fully present without noting. And believe me, none of us liked it at the beginning. We're not teaching it because we think it's a really far-out thing, um, that we enjoy it so much. But we found for many people it's extraordinarily helpful in clarifying the, the mindfulness and deepening the concentration. So the, there can be all kinds of little snags with it, especially the first actually couple of weeks of using it. So it's really good to bring up any place that you're getting, getting caught with it. Um, if you'll find it, drop it for a little bit, reconnect. But then gently bring it back if you're committed to uh, experimenting with it till you get to the point where you can see how helpful it can be. To, to, there's often times when I would think I was very mindful of what was happening. If you asked me at the end of the sitting, I could say, well, this happened, and I was aversive to it, and then I was identified with it. And I can say all that. But I've seen for myself in a sitting without noting, I sort of know what's happening. But when I bring in the noting, it's as if the attention turns around and really directly sees what's happening without the identification. It's, it's a world of difference at times. So um, just keep experimenting. Yeah, yeah, Eduardo. <clears throat> well, I'm glad knowing as well. Because I'm having a different experience. When I'm knowing, sometimes the knowing becomes so prominent that the experience kind of fades. Mm. I remember when I was a math student, I used to go to museums and look at all the titles, but I never look at the pictures. <laughs> Could you all hear him in the background? He says uh, he's having a different experience of noting where the noting gets so prominent that it's really the main experience and it overshadows what's happening. And when he was an art student, he would go to museums and read the titles of paintings and not really look at, at the picture. It's sort of like that. Yeah, that's also common. Um, like the noting gets really loud, really loud, and we can get so involved with it that we, we do not quite notice what's happening. A couple of things. Again, it's a, a tuning to it. One is, um, this might sound silly, but often it works. It's almost like there's a volume knob, and you deliberately turn it down so that I will, as if it is, whisper the note in my mind. I mean, that, I mean, it sounds you know, like, a give me a break, you're playing around too much. But I'll really, I'll just start going, oh. Especially with big things I don't like. Aversion. Judgment. I'm really whispering it. And this really soft tone of voice. Um, that's one thing. If I'm finding I'm really getting involved in a struggle with how loud it is, it's almost the struggle gets to be more the problem than how loud it is. I do the same thing I I was just suggesting before. Drop the noting for a bit so that you get the feeling, again, of of how to be with and connect with the actual experience. And then when you're really feeling, for example, tingling, you know you're really there, and then just gently bring it in the whisper. Tingling, 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 and kind of find how they can both be there. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit of playing. Think of it as playing, not work. Okay, there's a couple of announcements. Uh, On Friday...
allowing awareness, attention, to settle in the sensations of sitting, awareness of the sensations of body, as they present themselves spontaneously, without looking or striving to make anything happen. Simply noticing. And if you've been finding it helpful, opening up the same quality of spontaneous noticing into the experience of hearing. Noticing how sound arises, persists, passes away, quite outside of any sense of control or any need for us to respond or react. Finding the trust to rest in the spacious and alert quality of awareness Trust that that manifests by itself and we don't have to grasp or push to create it. Noticing the arising of the sensation of this next in-breath in the same relaxed and natural way. Feeling the various sensations of in-breath. Noticing how it ends and how what we call out-breath begins. Again, the sensations are happening by themselves. And we feel them quite spontaneously. There doesn't need to be this sense of uh, striving, grasping, focusing, or desperately holding on, trying to get clearer. Simply notice the feeling as it arises in this moment. if the mental noting is useful as a way to help be more connected with the sensation, then softly, softly, noting in, out, arise, fall. 
as a frame, as a way to help the attention be more fully with the experience, not as a block. And in a moment of being fully present with breath or hearing, without needing to look for any other experience, again, quite spontaneously, the whole realm of our human experience arises by itself. So in a moment of being with breath, you might become aware of sensation in the body or a sound, a thought or a train of thoughts, a mood, an emotion, one of the hindrances. Not establishing any hierarchy, But when any of these experiences arise, in that moment becoming stronger than the feeling of the breath, quite easily acknowledging what's already happening by itself. As it were, giving the full heart, the full attention the totality of presence into this new experience. Very helpful to use the mental labeling to frame what's happening. Sadness, sadness, or sleepiness. Or obsessive thinking, planning, hearing. Lightness, itching whatever it happens to be. Noticing how this new appearance behaves as the attention is with it. Whether it increases, changes, vanishes, stays the same. Meeting it with this open, accepting quality of attention that has no agenda whatsoever. And that doesn't take any experience personally. Nothing to hold on to, nothing to push away. Today we might begin to notice more consciously when these reactions of mind are occurring. The holding on to, the pushing away. To begin to see how these reactions come from the not noticing the experience of pleasantness, or unpleasantness, or neutrality in whatever sense contact happens to be arising. So for example, there might be hearing that's kind of harsh, unpleasant. Without noticing that, 
we might find ourselves next noting anger, remembering. We're back in a story of something that happened ten years ago that made us angry. In that moment of noticing anger, open to what's happening right now, you might become aware of hearing and the unpleasant quality of that sound. And then simply noting unpleasant, unpleasant. It's fascinating to see how the mind's unconscious reaction to pleasantness and unpleasantness and neutrality can lead us into worlds of reactiveness. Now, of course, in every sense contact, hearing, smelling, internal visual images, thoughts, emotions, sensations. Each contact will have the quality of one of these three feeling tones, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. This can be quite subtle, and often, often, we will not notice it. So uh, don't make yourself crazy looking for it with each experience. But sometimes it's quite obvious. Sometimes the feeling tone is the predominant aspect. And then when it's present, simply note it and notice it and feel it. Notice how it can lead into worlds of reaction when we don't notice it. And when you become aware of being caught in reactivity, Sometimes you can go back to the sense contact that's still happening and notice the pleasantness or unpleasantness. So hopefully this is not a grim chore. It's a really interesting investigation into cause and effect, into how in a moment our interpretation of what's happening moves so far away from what's actually happening. So meeting each sense contact with a soft, accepting mind allows us to see more clearly what our actual experience is. And of course, whenever you feel confused or you're running around after experience or not much is happening and it's quiet, Fine. Reconnect with your primary focus, whether it's breath, hearing, or sensations in the body. You don't have to make anything happen. Any questions this morning about your practice?
Mm-hmm. He says um, he's having trouble telling the difference between restlessness and aversion. They seem to kind of be similar, come together, and in trying to investigate either one, it just gets worse and kind of spirals. Probably not the only person with that experience. When you say you try to investigate one or the other, what does that mean? What are you doing at that moment? Yeah, are you just thinking that, or are you direct? Investigation really means directing the attention to the actual experience and letting it tell us what it is. Do you see what I mean? Thinking about it, uh, I personally find it's, it's moving away from the experience, and um, so that's, that's one piece. Investigation is a tricky word, because it, it, it doesn't mean anything from thinking or analyzing, but that's often how we tend to to use it, and even describing it. If I'm describing investigating, I might say just what you said. Is it restlessness or aversion? But that's just a way to try and turn my attention into it. So that's one thing. Um, personally, I find uh, when I have like restlessness in the body, are you talking about? It's in, in the mind, kind of spinning mind, anxiety sort of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And where's your attention? Are you resting with each moving thing? Or what's your attention with at that point? Uh, the attention is to notice how I cannot connect and sustain it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is there a reaction to the not being able to sustain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> good, good. Sort of in a, when it's in a big um, mishmash like that, there's kind of two different ways. I find when it's a big mishmash, if I try and get too precise, it just accentuates the aversion. Um, and sometimes at that point when it's restlessness, aversion, it's really, for me, I can see now they're feeding one another. There's a physical restlessness. It's unpleasant. There's immediately aversion to that. I can't, I mean, I can't see this all at, at that moment, but I could tell you later. There's immediately aversion to that, which I'm not quite feeling the aversion. It leads to more restlessness, and it just, like you said, it spirals. My experience of aversion is that when there's aversion, it's that the mind kind of pulls away a little bit from the experience in a moment. So say there's a physical difficult sensation, the mind pulls away in aversion, because there's not connectedness at that moment, it's much easier for the, uh, the hindrance, the defilement to sort of multiply because the attention isn't quite able to get to see what's happening. So then it will move, just like you said, into thinking. Oh, is this restlessness or is this aversion? And we're not aware of thinking, and actually the attention is moving even more apart from what's happening. And so it, the, whole, the whole cycle just starts to spiral And part of how restlessness functions is that we cannot sustain attention long on any one thing. It is jumping around. And to want it to be different is sort of like saying, okay, I don't want restlessness to be here. I'm going to sustain long. I can't sustain long. It's really bad. I should be able to. You know, it's sort of take a step back, open up to the big picture for a minute, and just 
restlessness. I don't know what Steve said about restlessness last night. I know Jack Cornfields has this line of, I'll be the first person to die of restlessness. It's okay, you know? <laughs> Just sit here and be restless. <laughs> it doesn't feel good. It won't feel good. You'll never be really happy that you're restless, you know? But it's sort of, don't try to be so precise, but step back and try to accept it on a bigger level, and then you might begin to see restlessness on a physical level is one thing, the aversion to it's a mental reaction, the spinning in the mind is another. You can, don't get too tight about trying to grasp it all, but big picture. <laughs> and patience, always, always. Eduardo, <laughs> yeah. You all probably couldn't hear him. He said, uh, you know, there's the phrase relaxation response as a description of meditation, which is not his experience. He's having a stress response. Everything is unpleasant, which I'm going to question that. Everything is unpleasant, and he's wondering, where's the pleasant? Would you say actually every moment of your experience, Eduardo, has been unpleasant? (laughs) 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 Or neutral. (laughs) Well, maybe you're the first person in history. I... There are certainly times, which I would be the first to acknowledge, where um, experience seems to be seen through an unpleasant, aversive lens. I mean, God knows I've experienced that enough myself. And (laughs) there are also times in this practice, I would say for, for this style of practice, what we're doing for Pasana, really opening to all aspects of ourself and to freedom, Relaxation response is not a helpful term because if, if people come to this practice really thinking relaxation response, <laughs> you'd be out of here. You know, there, there are times when what we go through in this practice is very difficult where um, it's sort of as if the dukkha aspect of experience is highlighted. And so there's times on, a, on any retreat I call them dukkha times, where, where really the, the dukkha lens, and I think Joseph might be going to talk about the three different lenses tonight of dukkha, impermanence, and selflessness. I hope that's what he talks about now that I said it. And there's times when each of those might be highlighted. So in a time of dukkha, it's as if I would see the sadness, the pain, the difficulty in any particular experience, even though there's other aspects. It's uh, a little distorted and in that moment, it doesn't seem balanced. Over the long picture of our practice, it balances out. Let me give you an example I remember from a retreat. I was in one of those phases, and I walked into the room I was staying in, which I mostly sat in. It was a lovely room here, and it had a really nice hanging plant. And I walked in, first thought, I looked at the plant and said, it's just going to die. <laughs> I'm just going to have to leave this room. There's no point in enjoying it, you know. And it's sort of... In one level, that's true. The plant will die. I will have to leave the room. 
you know. But it's like <laughs> the, the, the dukkha lens is really off. <laughs> now, if we lived our life that way, it wouldn't be why we practice, definitely. It's stressful. Stress is another word for dukkha, you know. It's one of the translations of it. And it's imbalanced. But also as a, an aspect of beginning to see beneath the surface, in the long run it's, it's helpful because it does open us up to the fact that this stress, this dissatisfaction, unsatisfactory quality is an aspect of experience. So, so it, sometimes it can be helpful and it feels horrible when it's happening. That said, I would also look and see if um, I find when I'm having a lot of unpleasant experience there might be a way that I'm not really accepting unpleasantness, that I'm actually moving into aversion almost immediately with everything that happens. Like another time I was practicing in Thailand, and I did, it was very unpleasant. It was difficult to adjust. Um, so there were a lot of unpleasant experiences, but it wasn't all unpleasant. But after a month of that, every new thing that came in I was relating to with aversion. And this is different from a dukkha lens. It was just, you know, a dog would walk by and I'd feel hatred for it, you know. And <laughs> it's, that's a little different from what I was talking about is the dukkha lens. It's that we've sort of gotten locked into aversion without quite seeing it. So that's another thing I suggest. Just go back and really see if you can, when you go, everything's unpleasant. In that moment, check in and see what's actually arising in this moment, a sound, a thought, an image, a sensation. See if you can go right back to the sense door contact. Notice pleasantness or unpleasantness and see if it's springing into a version that you're not quite seeing a lot of. Does that make sense? <laughs> well, let us know. You know. <laughs> okay, it's 9.15. So time for walking. Have a pleasant day. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.